0: Hello, listeners. My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. What would you say to a person if they made a small temple in their home with many different idols, worshipped other gods, have their fortunes read by fortune tellers with tarot cards, breaking bread and drinking wine claiming that they believe in Jesus, while burning incense and worshipping other gods, If they claim that they believe in Jesus, what would you say to them? Wouldn't you say, that is not truly believing Jesus? That's right. Just because you place a cross or leave a Bible open does not make you a Christian. People like this believe in gods that they wanna believe in and are not true believers of Jesus Christ. But I was able to find a person like this, even in the Bible. It was a man named Micah. He and his mother are introduced in Judges chapter 17. Micah stole money from his mother. It wasn't a small amount of money he stole. It was 1,100 pieces of silver. Back then, the price for a slave was 30 pieces of silver. So 1,100 pieces of silver was a large amount of money, enough to buy 40 slaves. Micah stole this large amount of money from his own mother. Of course, it didn't cross her mind that her son would be the person that stole the money from her. Micah's mother placed a curse on the person that stole her money. She probably prayed that something bad would happen to the person that stole her money. Micah heard that his mother placed a curse on the person that stole her money and became afraid that he would be cursed. So... He went to his mother and told the truth. He told his mother that he was the one that stole her money. But his mother said out of nowhere, The Lord bless you for admitting it. I think that she was worried that the curse that she placed may affect her son and then tried to turn the curse into a blessing. After he returned the money to her, she dedicated the silver coins to the Lord in honor of her son and carved an idol image to give to her son. She then placed the idol in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. All this is written in Judges chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. When you hear this story, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Micah's house is a mess, like the person I described in the beginning, someone that calls himself a believer of Jesus Christ, but has a shrine for idols and is worshiping other gods. This is not someone that truly believes in Jesus. This is how Judges chapter 17, verse 6 describes someone like Micah. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. The Bible tells us that the things that are happening in Micah's home are the result of Israel having no king and all the people doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Judges chapter 17 ends with Micah inviting a young Levite to live in his home as his personal priest and says he truly believes that the Lord will truly bless him now. Micah lived his life believing in God the way he wanted to, creating idols and also believing that they were God because he was not able to have a relationship with God through his words. Micah believed that he was child of God and that he would receive God's blessings. But, Micah never received any blessings. The Bible tells us that Micah turns this way because he has no king ruling over him or because he does not have God ruling over him and that he lives a life doing whatever seems right in his own eyes. If we do not study God's words, we may live our life of faith as Micah did, believing that we will be blessed When we do not have a relationship with God,
1: This is what I really want you all to see
0: Coming up next is sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is Pray Part 2 based on Matthew chapter 6. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David.
2: He loves you. Even though you just like I everybody else in this room. We've all rebelled against him, even though you have rebelled against him. you have defied him, denied him, he loves you. Your very breath right now comes from the God that, that you maybe deny, you may be hate. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for your sins, for your rebellion against him. Jesus has died on a cross in your place for you so that so that, when you repent, when you turn from your sin in yourself, when you in humility say, I need your grace and need you to forgive me of my sin, when you turn from your sin in yourself and you trust in Jesus, as Savior and Lord of your life, He will wipe away all your sins forever. It is, it is, a glorious invitation. It's Matthew chapter 11. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Mark it down. Repentance, repentance leads to rest. This is why repentance is good. Repentance, turning from your sin, turning from yourself, leads to rest. That that happens at the point in which you first repent, turn from your sin and yourself and trust in Christ. And then, Christian, this is the process of, life on a daily basis right we're prone to wander prone to go back to that which we've been saved from and so we spend time in repentance in confessing in confession knowing that God is gracious and merciful to us and repentance repentance leads to rest so so I want to invite you Christian during the next few moments just in the silence of this room to to write out specific prayer of repentance and you may be worried that somebody around you would see this or that like i don't know if i want to put this word or that word down on paper well just put like x or a Y or some kind of sign or something you'll know what it is god know what it is that's that's what that's what matters so let me encourage you to write out a specific prayer of repentance in in your life in light of things we've read in the word things we've seen tonight just contemplate where where do you need to confess sin to god acknowledge how you need to acknowledge your need for jesus and And if you're not a Christian, I'd say I would invite you, we would invite you, more important than that, God, God invites you tonight to trust in him. And so I would invite you in that space, maybe for the first time in your life, to turn from your sin yourself and confess your need for, for God's grace in Christ and your trust in him to save you from your sin and to write that out in your, words, in your own words and to know that this is what it means to enter into a relationship with God to be reconciled to God so take the next couple minutes uh, all across this room and just spend the next couple minutes in silence writing out a specific prayer of repentance and this will lead us into a time to feast on the forgiveness that we have in Christ that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper so go ahead and write that out now Okay, so you don't have baptism in the prayer closet alone either, but it would be really cool if you did. Uh, But you are, okay, reminded of what Aiden just testified to. You've died with Christ. You live with Christ. And so that immediately leads. Okay, next, last two parts of the acrostic here. A stands for ask. So intercede for particular needs in your life and others' lives. And it just makes sense. You've seen who God is. You've been reminded of how much you need Him and so you, so you call out to Him. You know He's sufficient. You know He's the provider. He's the creator. He's the Father. He's in control of all things. And He has the, the power to provide in your life and in others' lives. And the Lord's prayer is so helpful for us here in Matthew 6 because there are requests that Jesus is teaching us to pray. Even in the beginning, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a request. That's a calling out. Not, it's not saying, God, you are holy. It's it's God. Cause your name to be made known as holy. That's a, that's a good way to pray for your life, for others' lives. Cause your name to be made known as holy in my life. Cause your name to be known as loving in my life. Cause your name to be known as this or that in my life, in others' lives. And then down to the details. Give us this day our daily bread, and give this person this. They need this. Give this person that. And then we've got these promises that Jesus gives us in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given. You seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You say, well, I've asked for things and God didn't give it. Well, it's a good thing. God is wiser than you and me. That's the beauty of what he says right after that, right? Which of you have... Have a father, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. If ask son asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. And we have a good father. Who's, he's perfect. He gives good gifts to his children. So even in our asking, we can trust that if we're not asking for what is best for us, we don't have a father who's going to give us what we've asked for. He's going he's to give us what we need most. And so, oh, so we intercede on in behalf of our life, others' lives. Now, I want, I want to put just two words before you to kind of, maybe you might write them down or just kind of keep in your mind, that I want to encourage you when it comes to, to asking for things in your life, things in others' lives, spontaneous and planned. I want to encourage you to be spontaneous and planned when it comes to your intercession for others and even prayer for things in your own life. So by spontaneous, I mean, I mean in your time with the Lord, think about what's going on in your life. What's going on in others' lives? What's going on in the current events? What's going on in the world around you? And just spontaneously pray. Let the Spirit of God lead you to pray for different things. At the same time, I know it's helpful for me to also be planned in my praying, meaning more intentional in what i am be praying for on a, on a daily basis. And so I've got basically a, a list of things that I pray for on a daily basis. And I got spread out over the week, so Monday to Friday specifically. So there's a lot of things I wanna pray for in my life. So instead of trying to go through the whole list every single day, just... I kind of divided it up and I pray these things for my life on this day, these things on this day, these things on this day. And the same thing for others in my life, for for my wife Heather. There's things I pray for her on Monday, Things, different things, specific things that I pray for on Tuesday, different things on, on Wednesday. Same thing for my kids. i pray for this part of their character on, on Monday, this this part of their life on another day. I pray for their manhood and, and womanhood on this day, for their future spouses and uh, children. And so I want to be intentional about praying for things and in, in my life, my family's life, and to pray for different friends on different days, it's got to spread out to where I'm I'm making sure to pray for our elders by name every week, our staff by name every week, for the church. I pray for different things on Monday in our faith family than I do on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, and and then pray on one day for. Uh, other churches in Birmingham, another day on other churches in North America, another day for church planning teams we've sent out here and around the world. So got to split up. And I'm not saying you need to do exactly that, but you look at your life. What, what do you need to be praying for on a continual basis? And, and be intentional about praying for, for those things. So that's my encouragement when I, when I, say, when I say planned. And, and this is intended to be a hugely helpful tool. When you, you get your worship guide, just look on the other side there from, you got your notes here, but on the other side, there's, there's the daily Bible reading schedule at the top, but then there's something intentionally, okay, pray, for, pray this for your life this week. And there's a few sentences there. I mean, you can split that up over the week or just pray that every day. And then you've got a, a column that says, pray for our city. This week, we're praying for the breakfast club at Ossie Middle, Mitchell Middle School in Eastlake, part of our ministry in Eastlake. And there's six days worth of prayer requests on there. And so to to pray for these things. We don't want to just do ministries as a church and 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 Eastlake and our flesh and our own power. We want to do it praying and then pray for our world. This week we're praying for Brook Hills Church planners JD and JJ serving in North Africa. So instead of just praying Lord do something in the world today, like pray specifically for these things that JD and JJ have asked us to pray for. When I a couple weeks ago, a midterm missionary who came back from serving midterm comes up to me and says, I just want you to know, when the church was praying for me, that week this happened, this happened. And it was a totally different week. And it was so encouraging to hear. Like, do we, do we really believe when we pray for these specific things that God's hearing us? And do we really believe God's hearing us and answering us? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. And let's be honest, if we did, I think we'd be praying more. So, here's how all this, this comes together. Plan spontaneous, praying with confidence. So, every Friday, Friday is the day that I've got set aside, and one of the things I pray for specifically is church planning teams that we've sent out that are working among Muslim people groups. Muslim uh, Friday is a day where Muslims gather in mosques for for worship, and so I'm praying specifically on on that day for these church planning teams, and so Ryan and Bethany in uh, Central Asia working among the Baloch. I'm praying for them um, on a, on a continual basis every Friday. Well, one Sunday morning, uh, this was a couple months ago, I woke up and the Lord just immediately brought Ryan and Bethany to my mind and. And I just woke up thinking about him, and so I was just driven to, to pray for them, pray specifically for them. I didn't know specific things going on, just prayed according to the word as best as I could. And, and I meant to email Ryan, I, I should have emailed Ryan just immediately and said, hey, I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you, specifically for you this morning. Um, but I, I got busy doing other things, and so I didn't, and I meant to next day, and I got busy, so... Two weeks later, I still hadn't emailed Ryan. Well, all of a sudden, I get an email from Ryan. And this is what his email said. David, I want to take a minute to write you and recount for you the love that Christ showed me just two weeks ago. It was early, and I was driving the long road from one place to another to pick up a few things. I had reached in many ways the end of my rope, both emotionally and spiritually. And he went on to explain specifics there that I won't go into. Then he said, I needed the Lord Jesus to remind me of who I was and what I was doing. He did that and more. I turned on some worship music and began to listen. Listening turned into mouthing the words. Mouthing the words turned into singing. Singing turned into tears and snot and repentance. And as I drove with my knees so I could raise my hands to the King of all creation, I had an experience. He said, you know me, David. I'm no Pentecostal but I suddenly had the strangest overwhelming feeling that I was being prayed for and felt like I could hear your voice specifically. I didn't hear any specific words, but I felt lifted up and my heart lit up with joy as the Lord reminded me, not only of who I am and why I'm here, but that I was sent by his church and lifted up by his spirit in prayer. So I wanted to let you and the church know, and now I'm crying again. That when you lift your hands and voices in earnest prayer, it matters. We got brothers and sisters, certain, on the Arundo in North Africa, who need us. Pray in day one through day six this week for them. And God's gonna hear us, and God's gonna answer in His ways and His timing. And so we're, we're praying for the Arundo, this unreached people with very few Christians, really hard to reach. We're praying that they would become reached. And we're asking, and, and the whole language there in Matthew 7 is asking, keep on asking. Knocking, keep on knocking. Seeking, keep We're going to ask, we're going to keep on asking until the Arundo are reached. We're going to keep asking until they're reached. With confidence that by the grace of God, for the glory of God, they're going to be reached. And so let's press in this week and pray for them. Let's press in this week and pray for church of Southeast like, in ministry there and for things in your life, others' lives. And then, and then, again, to even connect the Word with this. So this week I'm reading Matthew 10 about Jesus sending out his disciples on mission. He says you're going like sheep in the middle of wolves in the difficult, dangerous places. And you're going to be betrayed and, and you'll, be, you'll be persecuted. You'll be killed. And it's, it's kind of tough because... Uh, It's kind of hard to identify with, especially in this context by God's grace. Those threats aren't real for us on a daily basis for faith in Christ. We know they are around the world, and that's the thing. I'm reading Matthew 10, and then later that day, I come across an article that says, Christian martyr deaths doubled in 2013. There's a report that came out that that day, or I don't don't know if it came out that day or the day before, but it was the day I read Matthew 10 that I was reading it, and I read this article from Open Doors, which works for the persecuted church. We've worked with them, Secret Church and other things. They release every year a world watch list is what they call it that has the list of uh, countries and it would be helpful, be informative for you to go look this up. Um, but the countries where uh, Christians are most persecuted and so I've got, a, I've got a day where I'm praying specifically for persecuted church. So I would encourage you, we need to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters. And so they've got countries that are most persecuted. It talked about how, this article talked about in 2013, the number of martyrs, Christians who died for their faith Proclamation of Christ, faith in Christ, uh, that doubled from the previous year. There were more martyrs in Syria in 2013 than martyrs all around the world in 2012. And, and then it went on to talk about uh, Nigeria was next after Syria, then Pakistan, then Egypt, and talked about a strong drive to purge Christianity from Somalia. It's talking about how there were no reported killings in North, North Korea, mainly because we don't have information from there, but it's believed that somewhere between 50 and 70,000 Christians live in political prison camps. So... So, so you read Matthew 10, that time in the Word, you see something in the world, it just drives you to prayer, to intercession. And God knows what He's doing. He's, you're meeting with Him in the room, alone with Him in the morning. What's coming during the day, just look for intersections that drive you into intercession. So, we, we'd miss the whole point if we didn't pause right now. So let's pray. Let's pray. God God, we know that you're hearing us right now. You're the God in control of the nations, and you're hearing us pray, and so we pray right now for the Arundo people. We pray that you would bring them to yourself. God, we pray that these people who have little to no knowledge of you right now, your grace his people who are committed to so many of them committed to fighting against anyone who brings the gospel to them god we pray that you would break down doors and barriers and with your mercy open their eyes to the beauty of christ Lord Jesus, you deserve their glory. You love them. You love them. You've purchased people from among the Arundo. So claim that which you've purchased, which belongs to you. The souls of men, women, children. God, we pray that you would Bless J.D. and J.J. and this team there toward that end. We pray for these people they're sharing with. We've been praying for you all week long. These individuals that they've had the opportunity to share the gospel with that are in danger even because the gospel is being shared with them. God, we pray that you would open their eyes to believe. Open their hearts to believe. You would raise them. You've told us to pray for laborers for the harvest field. We pray for laborers to come from among the Arundo. For laborers who will scatter throughout the Arundo preaching the gospel. God, at the same time, we pray for brothers and sisters in prison camps in North Korea. God, strengthen their faith. Today, we pray you would strengthen their faith. Even now, you would sustain them. Sustain their family members who are who've been separated from husbands, wives. We pray for spouses whose haven't seen their spouses because they're in prison, God, we pray that you would strengthen their faith. For kids, for kids who've seen mom or dad or mom and dad taken off to prison, Lord, you would not, oh God, that you would not let the adversary use their parents' sacrifices for the gospel to pull their children's hearts away from Christ. God, we pray that you would protect those children's hearts. Pray for the spread of the gospel in North Korea. God, so many of us, we can't get in. If We couldn't get in, couldn't speak the gospel. But you're Lord over North Korea. And you have a people there. Strengthen them, we pray. Give them grace to proclaim the gospel in wise ways. Help them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Give them grace to speak your word with boldness when they have opportunity to do so. do we pray for their persecutors. You would draw persecutors to Christ in North Korea. pray for these things there. We pray for here, for church of Southeast Lake, for Ben and the other elders there, for this ministry, this middle school. God, we pray for kids, families to come to Christ, for s- teachers and school administrators to see the light of the gospel. We pray that the light of the gospel have transforming effect in Southeast Lake. For the glory of your name, we pray, oh God. Thank you. Thank you for this privilege of being a part right now of what you're doing in Eastlake, what you're doing in North Korean prison camps, what you're doing in the middle of the Arundo. We will, we will keep on asking all week long and, and beyond this week. And for, you, for your name's sake, we pray these things. Amen. Oh, do you see it? It's not time. You just set aside to check off. Okay, I did that. You're your meeting with God, and you're part of what God's doing around the world, in other people's lives, in, the little, in your world. So pray for both. Pray for the things here that are going on in your world, and pray for the big picture world. And, and so this is intended to help you, intended to help you with that. All this leading to us to, to the why, to yield, to, to yield, surrender your life to following Jesus wherever and however He leads you. So you praised and repented and asked for things in your life, things in others' lives. So now it just makes sense. Your life is it's going to be different after this kind of a time alone with God. And people talk about, well, prayer. And does it really change God? Well, not the point. We don't want to change God. God's good. <laughs> God's good. We're we're in need of change. We're in need of transformation. And and is transforming. I mean, you, you pray, what you just taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven, and you realize, uh, well, I'm on earth. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. This is where you're... It's like putting a blank check on the table every day before the Lord. Here's my life. I, I will, in, in my time with the Lord at some point in the morning, just walk through my schedule for the day and and, and pray for specific things that I know are on the schedule. Okay, I know I'm having this meeting. and pray for grace and wisdom in this. I know I'm meeting with this person. I pray for grace to be sensitive to your spirit, what you're doing there and this here. And then, okay, I know when I'm getting home, I'm going to be doing this with the kids. I'm going to be coaching this. Pray for grace for those parents. Pray for extra measure of grace for those kids. Uh, and then, and so it's just gotta pray through the day. So. And then pray for, for grace to be... A, be willing to sacrifice my agenda if I need to at different points. I'm going to be walking in tune with your spirit today and, and pray specifically for I pray specifically for opportunities to share the gospel and for boldness. And I need courage to share the gospel in those opportunities. I get I get shirked back as much as the next person. So I pray for courage to share the gospel in those opportunities. So your will be done in my life today, as it is as is in heaven. So you're surrendering, you're yielding. You want, this is where you come back to these pictures in, in Genesis. So you've got this concentrated time in prayer at the beginning of the day that just fuels continual communion with God all day long. And you're realizing what Genesis 6 means when it says, Noah walked with God. What a great, we read in Genesis 5 last week. Enoch, he's got like a paragraph, really just like a verse. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because the Lord took him. I think it was D.L. Moody who said he, he imagined Enoch walking with God one day and God said, well, we're closer to and got to the end of the day, God said, well, we're closer to my house than we are yours, so why don't you just come home with me? So, there you go. Well, what, what a common, don't you want this to be the commentary of your life? He, 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 he walked with God. She walked with God. And so we, we walk with him Yielding to him. So this is how I want us to, to, to close. I, I hope, I hope that this has helped you, helped you in some way when you think about a time in prayer in your life on a, on a daily basis this week. Let's not just talk about prayer. Let's pray. Let's experience the reward that God has for you.
3: those of you that would like to raise your children instilling God's values and His words into their life. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries can send you CDs of our children's program. If any of you are interested in the program, please contact the office or email us to receive the CD. I hope that this program can spread out through our English speaking children. Our office number is 602-866-8999. And the email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com.
0: Following is the program called The Good News of the Gospel.
3: Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. My name is Youngin Winston. You are now listening to a program, The Goodness of the Gospel.
4: Hello, everyone. This is Brian Winston, your co-host of The Good News of the Gospel.
3: We studied the kinsman, Redeemer, which means goel in Hebrews. It's through the story of Boaz and that he was the shadow of coming Jesus.
4: We learned that to redeem means to reinstate to the original condition. And we also learn the three conditions to be a kinsman redeemer.
3: The three conditions of a kinsman redeemer are first, has to be a blood relative. Second, must have the ability to redeem. And most of all, has to have a willing heart.
4: Exactly. And Jesus satisfied all three conditions. Most people understand that Jesus satisfied the second and third conditions but there are some who ask, how is Jesus related to us? He's Jewish and I'm not. Well, let me explain. There are many different races in the world, and it doesn't seem like they are related to one another, but if we look up the genealogy of the ancestors of each race, then it all leads to one point, which is Noah and his three sons. We all are descendants of Noah and his three sons, or we can simply say, we all are the descendants of Noah then who is the ancestor of Noah? Adam? Right. Therefore, all races of the world are from one ancestor, the first man, Adam. So even though we might be distant in kinship to one another, but all humans are related to one another. So consequently, every man meets the first condition to be a Goel. Yet Jesus is the only one who is capable to redeem.
3: Yes. Every man is a sinner, destined to die. Jesus is the only one who can save us from death since He is the only one who is without sin, right? Correct. If it wasn't for Jesus' willing heart to save us, we wouldn't have had any hope.
4: Of course not. Without Jesus, we would have faced eternal death for our body and spirit.
3: I cannot thank enough for Jesus grace for
4: us. I agree. We also talked about the meaning of the three temptations Jesus had at the beginning of his ministry.
3: You talk about the relationship between the temptation at the Garden of Eden and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Jesus faced the exact same temptation which the first man faced but did not sin and prove that he is righteous
4: yes and we also talked about how all the sins in the world fall into three categories as mentioned in the book of first John chapter 2 verse 16 the cravings of sinful man the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does
3: it reminds me of Hebrew 4:15 where it says Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, but was without sin.
4: Jesus was tempted, but he was without sin. When he was tempted, do you think Jesus actually wanted to sin, but he had self-control, knowing what sin was? For instance, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, right? Then he must have been very hungry.
3: Not just hungry, he must have been starving to death because I get very hungry after fasting only one or two
4: meals. Fasting just a couple of meals makes us very hungry. What do you think about when you fast?
3: Well, I am embarrassed to say, but I think about food many times during the fasting, usually thinking about what I want to eat after fasting. The thoughts come and go but I do think about food a lot.
4: Me too. I found myself thinking about what to eat after fasting. Then how about Jesus? Do you think Jesus was also thinking about food while he was fasting? I
3: am not sure. He might have a thought about food, but since he is a Jesus, he may not have a thought about it at
4: all. I cannot tell. Confusing, right? On one thought, Jesus is human just like us, so he might have. But on the other hand, he is Jesus, so he wouldn't have thought about such things. But think for a moment, if Jesus wasn't thinking about food just because he was Jesus, the temptation he faced would not have been the same as the one we face. Jesus felt hunger just like us. Let's take a look at the Bible in the book of Matthew, chapter four, verse two.
3: After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yes, the Bible does say that Jesus was hungry after fasting.
4: Yes, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The word hungry in Hebrews is panao, and it means to crave ardently, to seek with eager desire. Jesus must have been eager to eat, and this was the time Satan, the tempter, told Jesus to make bread from stones. You see, if Satan tells us to make bread from stones when we are hungry, we will not fall into that temptation. Do you know why? It's because we don't have such ability. We would not fall into Satan's temptation. It is not that we are overcoming the temptation, but it's more accurate to say that we're not even being tempted. However, if Satan tells us to steal bread from a store, Then we might fall into the temptation because we have the ability to steal.
3: We will probably have conflicts within ourselves, no worse. After fasting for 40 days, we might lose our sanity and run to the store, putting everything into our mouth
4: first. That would be true for most of us, probably. Anyways, the important thing to consider is what Jesus was like in this situation. Jesus had the ability to turn stone into bread.
3: Yes, because Jesus is God who is omnipotent.
4: He is. So do you think Jesus had inner conflict when Satan asked him to make these stones into bread? Do you think Jesus thought, hmm, what an excellent idea. Why haven't I thought of that? Oh, no, stop. I should listen to Satan. But I'm so hungry. What should I do? Should I make it or not? Do you think Jesus would have been that ambivalent? No, absolutely not.
3: I think he would have been firm even though he was hungry because Jesus responded to Satan's temptation with the word of God. It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of a God
4: that is exactly what I wanted to say Jesus was without sin this is not just about how Jesus did not sin what I want to tell you is that Jesus cannot sin God and the Son of God they could never sin it is clearly different to not sin even though you are prone to do so the first man Adam had a free will to sin or to not to sin he had a choice
3: That was because it was before sin entered this world. Adam had a freedom to choose to sin or to not sin.
4: However, after Adam sinned, all the descendants of Adam lost the freedom to not sin. We all sin naturally because we are all born as slaves of sin. But Jesus, who could not sin, came for men and restored our freedom of not sinning.
3: That is how He restored our freedom. But I have one question. What is it? You said Jesus could not sin, right?
4: Yes, I did.
3: Then, since Jesus would never fall into temptation, no matter what, would all the temptations He faced mean nothing to Him?
4: That is an interesting question. In fact, you are not the only person asking this question and there are various interpretations to the answer to that question I cannot say which interpretation is correct but I think this should answer your question just because Jesus could not sin that doesn't mean he wasn't tempted as we learned last week in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 Jesus was tempted in the same way as us he was tempted but not tempted to sin when we say Jesus could not sin It doesn't mean that he cannot sin although he wants to. It means he does not want to sin even when he is tempted. Do not get it mixed up. When we say Jesus cannot sin it means even when he is tempted he still does not have the desire to sin. This is not easy to understand right? My point is that Jesus was tempted but there was no desire to sin in him.
3: Jesus does not have the desire to sin even when he is tempted. So that means Jesus is not holding back from the desire to sin because he shouldn't sin. But Jesus does not desire to sin in the first place.
4: We might have a hard time understanding the concept because we still have the desire to sin when we are tempted. Let me give you an example to better illustrate this. It is going to be a little disgusting, so please excuse this illustration. Well, sin is like a dirty sewage tank. It is like a bucket of waste from many people. Have you seen a sewage tank before?
3: I remember sin porta potty when I was young.
4: When we use a porta potty, we normally do not look down, do you?
3: Oh no, not at all. I even hold my breath the entire time while I am in there.
4: Yes, we hold our breaths, get in and get out as quickly as possible. But why do we do this? Why do we try so hard to be away from it?
3: Because it is dirty and smells terrible.
4: Exactly. Now let's say someone went inside the sewage tank and played around. Then this person tells you to join him. Would you join him?
3: No, definitely not.
4: What if the person says, hey, it's actually wonderful and smells nice down here. It is better than you think. Would you go inside?
3: No way. I would never fall for that.
4: No matter how much we are tempted and persuaded, we wouldn't fall for it because we know it is filthy, dirty, disgusting, and smelly we would not only stay far away from it, but not even consider going inside it. Sin is like this to Jesus. Jesus does not even ponder about sin, but firmly says no to it.
3: Jesus does not get tempted to sin. He simply says no to it. Now I get it.
4: You know, if a human was inside the sewage tank, we didn't realize how dirty it was. We thought it was good and enjoyed living in it and then would die in it. But Jesus came, took us out of it, cleaned our dirtiness with His blood. Now we don't have to go back to the pit again. We are now given the freedom Adam and Eve had. They had the freedom to follow God and also the freedom to follow Satan. We have freedom to choose to go back into the tank or not.
3: Adam and Eve followed Satan and become slave to sin. In turn, everyone after them did not have the freedom to not sin. But Jesus, who knew no sin, came to this world and freed us from sinning.
4: That is correct. Now there is a clear change in our state. Before we had no choice but to sin. But through Christ, our state has been restored, having a choice not to sin. However, we can still sin if we are willing to when living this life. But in heaven, where will we live eternally? We will be like Jesus who cannot sin, and that is God's ultimate goal for us.
3: Wow! After listening to you, I wish that they will come quickly. Even till this day, I find myself hating the fact that I am still sinful. I want to be at the condition where I cannot sin, the states where I won't be tempted to fall into the sewage tank.
4: Right. Those who realize this fact might wish to soon take off this earthly tent and be clothed with a resurrected body. It is so natural for us to wish to be away from the sewage tank. Apostle Paul also said this. Let's read the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4.
3: Now we know that if the earthly tent we leave in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built
4: by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling.
3: Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked.
4: For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life.
3: This verse tells us that those who accept Jesus as their Savior no longer desire to live in their earthly body, but long for new eternal heavenly body that God gives.
4: That's right. After disobeying God's word, sin entered the world and Adam and Eve realized their nakedness. They became ashamed in front of God. However, God covered their mortification with clothes made from animal skin. Those clothes symbolize the robe of righteousness, the skin of Jesus Christ, who came as the Lamb of God, that covers us. Apostle Paul is telling this to us in 2 Corinthians. It is natural for us to wish to take off the clothes of sin, but it is more than just to take off the earthly body, but it is to confess that our shame is fully covered by the robe of righteousness that is made of skin from the Lamb, the clothes with eternal heavenly righteousness.
3: I cannot wait for that day to come, the day when all my shame will be fully covered And I have no more desire to sin the day I wear the robe of righteousness.
4: Yes, I long for that day as well. Now, I want to summarize today's study. Originally, Adam and Eve had the freedom to sin or to not sin. They chose the word of a snake over the word of God and consequently became sinners. They became slaves of sin and lost their freedom to not sin therefore everyone who is a descendant of adam was born as a sinner and died as a sinner but through christ jesus who does not sin and who cannot sin who is the perfect righteousness and the true light we are freed from the slavery of sin now our freedom to sin or not to sin has been restored
3: which means now when we sin, it is not because we cannot avoid the sinning, but because we choose to sin. Is it correct?
4: Yes, that is true. Romans chapter 6, verses 6-7 records, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin.
3: It is saying that we no longer have to be slave to sin. It reminds me of a verse in 1 John, no one who is born of a God will continue to sin.
4: Yes, that verse is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. I think it will be good for us to read from verses 1 through 10.
3: Why don't we spend time this week reading these verses? I hope we all understand we have the power to overcome the sin so that we can be powerful. I will see you next week.
4: I hope everyone lives this week victoriously in Christ. Thank you for listening and God bless.
0: It is absurd how Micah and his family members lived. They went against God's word and did things that God hated, like making a shrine and creating idols to other gods. They made a mockery of a holy sacrifice to God by creating carved images. They still believe that they deserved all the blessings from God. But after reading about Micah's family, It makes me reflect on my own life. It makes me wonder if I'm living a life of faith, but doing whatever I please and waiting for God to bless me anyway. No, we do not have physical idols or carved images in a shrine, but don't we have idols in our hearts that come before God? When we place the importance of our comfort, peace, family, and happiness before God and still expect God to bless us, then we are not that different from Micah at all. We are Christians. We should not live our lives doing things that we believe are right, but we should live our lives doing the things that God believes are right. We must live studying God's word, knowing what is right and wrong. We must live our lives changing every day to better become God's children, learning how to serve God in the right way. Let me leave you with the words from Colossians chapter 1, verses 10-12. to 12. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope we spend the next week living our lives that are right in God's eyes. I hope to see all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.
5: Finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is It's okay The last thing I need Is to be heard But to hear What you would say In the midst of you